You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This just expands that window glass hill resource footprint significantly. So exciting for us, exciting that firstly, the magnetics identified the structure, uh, the auger rigs confirmed that there was gold in the system, and now the diamond rigs are hitting very good grades and widths. I'm Bill Powers, and this is Mining Stock Education. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, we're going to be getting an update from Matador Mining and its executive chairman, Ian Murray. Ian, welcome back onto the program. And since we've last spoke a couple months ago, you've had a lot of meaty press releases, and there's a lot going on on the island of Newfoundland at your Cape Ray Gold Project on the Cape Ray Shear. Could you start by reminding us of your three-layered approach to exploration, and then we can talk about specific results from there. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on again, Bill. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and obviously through you to to your audience in North America. Yeah, we announced earlier this year that we were going with a three-layered approach to exploration. So the first one is flying aeromagnetic surveys, but these are incredibly high-resolution magnetic surveys that show us what the structures are below the transported material. So we own 120 strike kilometers of an untested shear zone called the Cape Ray Shear. 90 to 95% of that tenement is covered in some form of transported material, a shallow till, glacial till. But if we test at the top of that soil, we don't know what the structure is below it. So by flying aeromagnetic surveys, we see what the structures are below it. So this survey was flown early in the season, um, 30 meter space lines, so 30 meters apart, 25 meters above the ground, and a total of 16,000 line kilometers were flown. And from that, we've got the highest resolution aeromag survey ever done on the island of Newfoundland that we're busy analyzing. But the survey we did this year only covers half of our tenement that we want to cover. We'll cover the other half next year. So what we did is great for this year. We've got great targets identified, but we've got more work to do next year. So that's layer number one. And then from that, from the where we identify the best targets to trap gold systems, we then have to go in and confirm that there's gold actually in the ground. And we do that with our mobile auger uh, or winky drills. So these are uh, uh, cheap and quick drill rigs built on the back of ATV vehicles, all-terrain vehicles, so they can get to all the remote areas. These drills can drill through the transported material and to the top of the fresh material. So the benefit of that for us is we're not bringing in the expensive diamond rigs that take a long time to get around. These are on the back of the ATV so they can get around quickly. We've got targets identified. We drill the best targets from the magnetic images on a grid pattern, 200 meter spaced lines, and we drill holes 50 meters apart on those lines. So we're drilling a grid to identify where there's gold in the system, where we have the right structures. And where we confirm that we've got good gold or good gold pathfinder elements in the system, in the structure, we then come in with a diamond rig and we followed that up with the deep drilling down to 150, 200 meter deep diamond drilling to get the diamond core, which then confirms the discovery. So that's our approach. We started rolling it out of April of this year. And now we're starting to get the benefit of that. Because each time you do that, there's a lag. We've got to fly the aeromag first, get the data, interpret the data to get the targets. 
We've then got to, we then got to do the auger drilling and wait for the assays to come back from that, and then we come in with the diamond drilling. So it's it's all coming together now, and we've still got another few months of drilling to go this season. And Ian, before we talk about specific results, uh, you found a way to increase assay lab time. Perhaps you could share with investors how you were able to accomplish that. Yeah, so Bill, we reduced assay lab time, not increased it. So, hey, sorry. <laughs> so what our exploration manager, Warren Potman, did last year, he identified that given the amount of drilling being done on the island by all the drillers, together with the amount of drilling being done in Canada, to ensure that we had a quick turnaround of assay uh, laboratory uh, samples, we then did a deal with our uh, assay provider, SGS. They provided a mobile sample preparation unit. So it's a con containerized uh, laboratory uh, on, on wheels that they brought into Portobasque, which is where our core shed is. We do all the core logging, core orientation, all the data work that we need from the diamond diamond core, we then cut the core, and we then deliver the half core next door to the to, to SGS's laboratory, where they prepare the pulps, uh, so they, they crush, grind it, and get it prepared for sampling, uh, and then they send to their main laboratory a few hundred grams of, of, of pulp samples, rather than sending kilograms of diamond core to, to the laboratory. So we're getting assay turnaround of between five to six weeks compared to what we're hearing uh, from other explorers in Canada of 12 to 16 weeks. So as an example, we've done auger drilling on new targets, and four weeks later, we've got the assays back, which are very exciting, and the diamond rig is there drilling within four weeks of us drilling the original auger hole, which is unprecedented. So hats off and credit to Warren Potman as exploration manager for coming up with a very, very good idea for us. Yep. And now that you let the cat out of the bag, is that going to impact you at all? Or you have your arrangement pretty well set with the assay lab? Uh, it's, it's a good arrangement with the assay lab. Uh, they do very good work for us. Hopefully they honor uh, their relationship with us. And we keep that, we will, we will keep that assay lab as long as we, we will want to keep that assay lab as long as we're drilling in that area. So you have three target areas, main target, big target areas that you've identified on the Cape Race here. Let's zone into target one. You've hit some excellent results uh, here at this target, the best hole outside of the known resource. And you hit 19 meters at 4.2 grams per ton gold from nine meters from surface. How about you start here and walk us through what's been going on in target area one? Okay, so target area one is window glass hill resource which is roughly a quarter of a million ounces of gold uh, just on uh, two grand per ton so it's, it's a great resource but there's we believe there's potential for that to grow that window glass hill is hosted on what's called the window glass hill granite the window glass hill granite extends for, for three kilometers in length and half a kilometer across less than 50 percent of the window glass hill granite has been tested what we've been testing now is we, we've through the aeromagnetic surveys, we've identified where the edge of the granite is. And so you've got the granite and then you've got sediment. And there are a number of deposits around the globe that have significant resources on that boundary where the granite joins the, or meets the sediment. So for the first time, uh, we, again, it was picked up on the magnetic surveys. We then went in with the auger rigs that showed there was the right gold in the right places. 
We then came in with diamond drilling, and we've done four holes in, in, in a fence across the, the boundary, so starting on from the sediments and then drilling across to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the granite. And, yeah, the, the whole you announced hold uh, CRD0214, that had the 19 metres at four grams, followed by, I think, it's eight metres at, at, at a gram plus, and there's just more gold down that hole. So, yes, the highlight is 19 at four, but there, there's more gold down the hole in, in call it parallel systems below that that we've hit. But on all four of those holes, we've hit good grades and good widths. So this is a cracking result. We've then drilled a second fence, and that's come up with the goods as well. We've now identified that there's six kilometres of untested granite boundary uh, around the window glass hill granite that we're now fast tracking and we're going to be testing it all because this is great extensions for the quarter of a million ounces that we already have there. Um, and this just expands that window glass hill resource footprint sig significantly. So exciting for us, exciting that firstly, the magnetics identified the structure, uh, the auger rigs confirmed that there was gold in the system and now the diamond rigs are hitting very good grades and widths. Obviously, this looks economic, but obviously we were to finish the whole drilling of, 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 of the area first to see what it could do to the potential economics of the project. So this is a new conceptual target that you've kind of discovered here, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And how does this relate to Marathon Gold's uh, Valentine project? They are, I believe, 170 kilometers north of you on the Cape Ray Shear, something like that. And they have multiple deposits that make up their 5 million ounce uh, reserve. What are you seeing now at this stage of the exploration that might relate to what they're doing? Yeah, so yeah, you're right there on the Cape Ratio, further to the northeast. Um, they've got 4.8 million ounces. They're currently just before development stage, waiting for their final approvals and permits before they start construction. But they don't have 4.8 million ounces in one deposit. Think of it as a string of pearls. They've got a number of uh, deposits down the Cape Ray Shear uh, that range in size. And so what we've got at the moment is we, we've got um, 840,000 ounces of gold, roughly summarised, we've got half a million ounces at Central Zone in, in a number of open pits in that area. Then we've got Window Glass Hill at a quarter million ounces, but we believe that has the potential to grow significantly given what we understand now about the Window Glass Hill granite. And then obviously we've got Big Pond and we've got Isle of Mort, which are small resources, but they've never been tested in the areas around that. So we believe we will also have a string of pearls along our Cape Ratio that'll add up, we believe will add up to multi-million ounces once we finish the exploration programs. Uh, and that'll put us in a good position to develop the first project on our portion of the Cape Ratio. Um, obviously, after Marathon's led the way with developing their project, but it certainly highlights that this Cape Ratio is a multi-million ounce uh, hosting system, and we own 120 strike kilometers of it, which is pretty much unexplored. That's right. So Window Glass Hill Granite, you're also testing at depth here, right? Because you're finding mineralization there, whereas the majority of your 840,000 ounce uh, resource is less than 200 meters, I believe, from surface. But uh, is there any significance of what's going on at depth here? Yeah, so the, I think our average drilling is down to about 120 meters across all of our deposits. The deepest holes have gone around 200 meters. But what you're finding at Window Glass Hill is you've got these parallel systems 
underneath high grade with good widths underneath each other. And we just haven't tested are there more of the more of these systems at depth. So you're putting a few holes in at depth uh, to see can are, are there additional parallel systems? And if there are, do they carry the grade and the width that will uh, draw uh, an open pit deeper or allow us to convert um, from an under uh, from an open pit mine to an underground mine uh, with, with time. So you have a scoping study on the Cape Ray Gold project. Now with these good holes that you're hitting here, they're expansion holes. So are you postponing the PSF, Ian, to see what you come up with throughout this drill season this year and next year? Yeah, Bill, we've always been honest with shareholders uh, in, in that uh, as at a minimum, we're chasing a 10-year mine life and uh, roughly 100,000 ounces of gold per year. So that means we need to have uh, 10 by 100, a million ounces, mineable ounces in, in our deposits. At the moment, we've got 840,000 ounces in resource. The scoping study that we did last year converted roughly 500,000 ounces of that into mineable, which gave us a seven-year mine life, the first four years of which were very, very strong 2.6 gram per ton average, very good cash generation. So what we're doing with the exploration we're doing now is, can we add to the life of this project? Can we add the additional 500,000 ounces mineable that we need to give us the million ounces? And certainly all the encouragement we're seeing through the drill bit, we're heading in the right direction. So we're not going to press the button on a PFS until the board's confident that we've got this pathway to, to, to a 10-year mine life at around 100,000 ounces of gold. And my personal view is, as long as we're expanding the resource through the drill bit, don't bother starting study work because you want to do your study work when you know exactly what you've got with your resources. Or else your study work, you spend all the money on your study work, but you've got to redo it because you found another half a million ounces somewhere else. And if that other half a million ounces is higher grade, you, you want to mine that first. So make sure that you understand your ore bodies uh, and, and your economics well before you press the button on your detailed study work. And so part of that exploration work is being done at, as you said, your uh, your big pond where the power auger drill intersected 55.4 grams per ton. Talk to us about what's going on at big pond, Ian. So, and, and this highlights how underexplored the area is. We've got the window glass hill resource, and then there's a four kilometer gap that hasn't been drilled. And then we've got the window glass, sorry, the big pond resource, which is small. It's 20,000 ounces, but at five gram per ton. So very good grade, but a small resource with very little exploration was done outside where the mineralization was discovered outcropping at surface. So again, starting with the aeromag, we threw the aeromag over the entire belt, but obviously one of the areas we looked at was between window glass hill and big pond. We identified a very nice, S-bend structure there, which there'll be a geological term for it, but I just see it as an S-bend. <laughs> and the one thing that I was told years ago by a geologist, he said, Ian, in a toilet system, where does everything collect? Collect Where you have an S-bend. And it's exactly the same in geology. You want to have S-bends because that's where the fluid flows slow down and the gold comes out of solution and gets trapped there. So in the magnetics, and this, this is in the images that we've shown, there's a beautiful S-band in this area, and that's where we've done the auger drilling on the grid pattern. So 200-metre space lines, 50 metres apart. And in that, we've identified six separate target areas 
with either elevated gold in the bottom of hole sampling or, elevate, or elevated gold pathfinder elements. So six new targets under transported cover that had never been identified before. Uh, the 54 gram per ton that you mentioned, that's right next to the window glass hill resource, which is great. It shows that that resource can grow and that's very good grade. But elsewhere, we've got uh, 3.8 gram per ton and then another 0.6 gram per ton, which from an exploration hole, your listeners may say, well, that's very low. Why are we interested in that? This is blind auger testing. We've never drilled there before. We've got a structure identified through the magnetics. We've then just drilled on a grid. So we haven't chosen where to drill. We're drilling every 50 meters. We're drilling another hole to the bottom of the, to the top of the fresh rock. So we're not drilling into the fresh rock. We're doing 20 centimeter sample at the top of the fresh rock, but we're getting gold at 3.8 gram per ton, 0.6 gram per ton, together with elevated gold pathfinder elements. So this is copper, lead, zinc, bismuth, antimony, all the other base metal elements that are associated with gold on the caperate shear. So when you get that whole suite of elements at elevated levels, you know there's a good gold system somewhere close to that. And as I mentioned, we've got six of these targets identified now just at the big pond area that have never been tested. And are they going to be tested this winter because you're going to be doing oh, yeah. a winter drill program, right? No, we, we tested them at the moment. Um, this is the, the one area where we did the auger rig got the assay within four weeks and the diamond rigs already started drilling within four weeks of doing the original uh, auger hole. So the diamond rigs there, we're drilling that now over uh, uh, the remainder of, of autumn. Um, we're still looking at what we're going to be drilling in winter. But first, first and foremost, if we're going to do a winter program, it has to be safe. Newfoundland is on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. It gets hammered in winter with the uh, winter storms. Um, so it's got to be safe before we do a winter program, and that's currently being investigated by the exploration team. And you have two diamond drills running, and is it three augers? Is what you have on site right now? No, we've actually got we've got yeah. So we've got two diamond rigs running double shift, day shift, and night shift, and we've got five auger rigs. Two of them are the power auger rigs, which are built on the ATV and can drill ten to fifteen meters. We had the original one that we built in January of this year. So brand new, never been done on this belt before. And on the su success of that one, we uh, had a second one built, which has just being, uh, been on site for about three or four weeks now. Um, but this one is um, even higher uh, power level <laughs> than the first one. And so this one can drill 15 to 20 meters deep. So two power augers, and then we've got three handheld backpack augers. So with the man portable, and then the guys can drill sort of two to three meters through the transported material. And on average, aren't your holes about three to four meters through the transported materials to reach the basement rock? It depends on the thickness of the transported material. Where the thickness is shallow, we use the handheld rigs. Where the thickness is deeper, we then use the, the power augers. But yes, in some areas, the thickness is half a meter to two to three meters. In other areas, it does get down to 10 to 15 meters. But that is relatively shallow compared to elsewhere in the world. So with all this exploration work we're doing in target area one, what percentage is expansion drilling and what percentage would be infill? Oh, very little is infill, probably 10%. So the infill drilling, we're only doing uh, when we don't have the targets identified quickly enough through the auger rig. Then we go in and we do some more infill drilling. Um, so 80 to 90% of what we're doing will be 
greenfields testing, expansionary testing, identifying new systems. And, and we're not short of targets. And, and it's just what this belt or what this Cape Ray project has needed is just the systematic approach to the exploration, the, the, the magnetics to identify the structures, the auger to confirm there's gold in the system, and then diamond drilling to come into the best targets. Needless to say, there's going to be a lot of news flow through the rest of the year out of target area one. Yeah, now there's going to be significant news flow coming through from, from this area plus the, the other areas because um, our exploration strategy is a, is a two-pronged approach. So we're looking at how we can grow the known resources within tracking distance of a central plant, but we're also testing some of the greenfields areas that have never been tested before. So from the magnetic images, we've got two big target areas that have never been drilled before that are having the first testing this season. And then that to me is the most exciting, but that's where you could come up with a marathon uh, gold Valentine Lake type discovery of a couple of million ounces in a relatively small footprint. Let's talk target area too. So you've uh, put out a press release about some excellent rock chip samples with peak values up to 191 grams per ton gold. Walk us through the prospectivity of target area two, please. So target area two is from Isle of Mort, northeast all the way through an area called Benton. Um, in this area, as you rightly point out, there was rock chip samples done previously up to 191 gram per ton. These are rock chips from boulders. And when you're talking boulders, we're talking things the size of a small car. Um, these boulders have been moved and transported to where they are today from their original location. Um, what we're looking for is where have they come from? That's the most exciting. So we've got a, a master's geologist in the team who's doing, a, there's another geological term for it, glacial flows, and he's worked out where these boulders are likely have to traveled from, and that's where we're doing the testing. So again, it's the same, we've flown the AeroMag, we, we know the structures are good in that area, we know the elevated rock chips in the boulders show that we've got three kilometers of elevated gold in boulders. So it's not just one or two, it's an extensive three-kilometer area. We've now gone in with the grid pattern auger rigs. We're waiting for those results to come back. And then we've started with a few diamond holes just in from the structures what look like the best um, targets while we wait for those assay results from the auger rigs to come in. But I was up I was up there a month ago, uh, my first visit to Cape Ray. That I went up in the helicopter the one day when the helicopter took uh, went up to that target area. You walk out and you're walking on a sponge. We've got these big boulders, but between the boulders, it's just it's a bog. <laughs> um, you've got mossy growth everywhere, and you keep your foot sinks sort of one foot into the ground every time. You're walking on on a mattress <laughs> up between the boulders. So so it's an interesting area, uh, and that's obviously where we've got this this three kilometer long kilometer long area, good structures, elevated gold in the, in, the, in the rock chips. And let's just do the systematic work to find out where they have come from. Uh, Ian, if the gold is in the basement rock and there's till on top of the basement rock, how does a boulder get on top of the till? No, so the, 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 the boulder, no, the- It's not the, outcropping we're talking about. It's actually a, a fragment, right? So these are boulders that have moved from elsewhere. They're sitting on the, they're sitting on the, the basement rock and all the gaps between them has filled up with uh, organic material. And there's obviously uh, 
grass and, and moss and stuff growing in those gaps. So it's not as if it's filled up with till, uh, a sandy till. This is more filled up with organic material Okay. in, in this particular area. So you're doing the auger drilling and diamond drilling uh, this year uh, also? We've done, yeah, we've done a few diamond holes there, um, but obviously at the moment it's hunting season. So respect uh, for, for the hunt hunters. Um, this particular area is popular with the hunters. So we've got the diamond rig down at the big pond area and another target at the moment. And once hunting season finishes, we'll get the diamond rig back up there. So results early next year, uh, diamond yeah, results yeah. early next year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, then let's move on to target area three. You, I don't believe you've done as much work on target area three, but why have you identified this as being prospective? Okay. Well, I hope that you put up the image of area three on, on the screen. Yes. Because what this clearly shows is you can see the cape race here through the system and it bends. So firstly, geologists love a bend, but when you have a bend, you have more stress and the splay structures that come off that. What you can also see clearly from this image is the cross-cutting structures. So big gold systems aren't hosted in the primary shear zone. They're hosted off the, off the shear zone in cross-cutting structures or parallel structures. And when we look at this image, there are numerous cross-cutting structures and parallel structures. And when we, obviously, we saw the image and thought, got very excited about it. Then we looked at all the old data and worked out what historical work has been gone on in this area. So the footprint of target area three is 12 kilometers long by four kilometers width. And so that's a massive area, 60 square kilometers, um, sorry, 50 square kilometers, um, which is a massive area. It's bigger than some of our, sorry, it's bigger than some of the other companies in New Finland's entire project area. When we looked at the historical work done, there's nothing done in this area, absolutely nothing. So previous explorers, because it's covered in transported material, Never did any work here because there's nothing outcropping. We now know from the magnetic images that this is one of the best target areas on the whole of the Cape Ray Shear, and it's had zero work. So we've got people up there, helicopter supported. We're flying the geologists up every day, and they're doing on on, on, on a on a uh, a line by line uh, process. They're doing soil testing where they're taking soil samples uh, from that area just as a first pass test. Uh, we will come back later once we've got the results from the soil testing. We're with the auger rigs and do some testing just to see what the depth of the transported cover is. We suspect it's deeper here, probably the 10 to 15 meter depth. And then on the back of that, we'll then plan the first diamond drilling probably next season. Next season, in the spring after the snow melts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but the auger drilling, does that have to wait till the snow melts also? No, no, we, we, we hope to get the auger drilling done before the winter, before the snow comes in this year. Excellent. So you are not going to be lacking news flow, as I've already pointed out. You were in Newfoundland, as you mentioned. Uh, what were some of your other observations meeting with some of the dignitaries there and seeing the project? Yeah, so the, the first thing that struck, struck me was how friendly the people are. They're incredibly friendly. I got hooted at. By a car because I didn't cross the road. He stopped his car in the middle of a four-way, four-road, four-lane road, and he wanted me to walk in front of his car. <laughs> Normally in New York, you get. I, I was going to say that's not New York. That's not even where yeah, I live. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the people are incredibly friendly. Uh, I, I met with uh, uh, Minister Parsons, who's 
responsible for mining, uh, and he's also from Porto Basque. Uh, very nice guy, very very supportive of all exploration activities on the island. I met Minister Cody, who's the uh, Minister of Finance and Deputy Premier. She's also very supportive of uh, investment coming into the island. Um, I met with the two First Nations groups, uh, the Halapu and the Maupakek. Um, both of them, obviously, they want us to be responsible in what we do because they hunt and they fish and, and they live off the lands. Um, but they were they're looking for employment opportunities for the for their communities in a responsible manner. So it's great to have met them and to hear that from them, and also to reassure them that whatever we do will be done responsibly. And then I ended up down at. Porto Basque, where the project is, and Isle of Mort, meeting the local communities there. And again, these people are very supportive of exploration and mining. They also hunt on the area. So it's, we've got to have that good relationship between the hunters and the miners, respect for what they do, respect for what we need to do. Um, and again, just everybody's just so friendly. And it's really beautiful country. Um, uh, the, the port of Porto Basque is 25 kilometers away from our project. So, again, it just highlights when we build our project, the infrastructure is there, renewable energy. Um, you see the power lines coming from the renewable energy program. Uh, we tap it, we'll, when we build the project, we'll tap into hydro energy from a renewable source. So, again, from an ESG perspective, it's, we're starting far more advanced in project building projects in West Africa or even Western Australia. So with everything we're talking about, you need money. Uh, last time we spoke, you had just raised Australian $16 million. And I believe also since we last spoke, you had some warrants that we're exercising. So uh, if you could update us on the treasury, please. Yeah, so we've got, well, back then we had about 23 million options with a strike price of 23 cents. I think we're down to about 12 million of them. So We've had 11 million exercised in the last few months. Uh, we did the raising, you, as you rightly pointed out. End of June, we had treasury of $22 million in the bank, Australian. And that'll keep us funded through to the end of next year's season. So well-funded. We do have good quality uh, shareholders through that raising. Um, Franklin Templeton from San Francisco is in there as, as a 5% shareholder. And Sentry through CI Financial is there at a 7% shareholder. So two good North American funds who believe in the exploration strategy that we're rolling up. They have faith in the board and the management team that we'll do this in a responsible manner. Um, so it's good to have, have their support. Uh, as, as we spoke about, having gone across to the project and then to the Beaver Creek Conference, which is, in my opinion, the best conference was Precious Metal Summit held at Beaver Creek Lodge. Um, that conference, in my view, is the, the best conference for explorers and developers. And we had what, 45 meetings in three and a half days. We were flat out. Two-thirds of those meetings were in person. One-third was virtual. So definitely worthwhile attending, sharing the Matador story. And obviously, for North Americans, we're an ASX-listed company. So uh, it's important that we make them aware that there is an Australian company that's doing very good exploration work in one of the areas around the globe that's turning into one of the most uh, prospective exploration areas. Excellent. And no plans to list on in Toronto yet, right? I know that was one of the complaints from my Canadian listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not at this stage. We, we did the OTC listing back in May, and that's been a good success. We're trading somewhere between 10 to 15% of the volumes that we trade in Australia. Um, so good volumes traded on OTC. 
But with me out of Australia now, my aim is to do more marketing in North America, uh, being able to travel uh, to Canada, to the US, and, and do that marketing as and when there's demand for it. Um, and, and that's the best way to, to, to make people aware of the project and the potential of the project. Excellent. Well, Ian, thank you for this thorough update. To learn more about the company, go to matadormining.com.au. Don't forget the AU. And the ticker symbol in the US is MZZMF, or you can also purchase it on the Australian Stock Exchange under MZZ. Thank you again for this update, Ian. It's always a pleasure. But Bill, keep well. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.